Alright, welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We've got an NIA boys here today, Jack Butcher, Trunk Fan, and Bilal Zaidi. Let's get straight into it, boys. There's a lot to talk about. Our boy Rishi has just become the Prime Minister of of uh, the UK, where Jack and I hail from. We're gonna be talking all about that. We're gonna get gonna get into the AI hype. We gotta like pivot the pod straight into AI like everyone else is doing. Uh, so we're gonna talk about some <laughs> Yeah. We got to do it. Yeah, so uh, no, all jokes aside, we're going to talk a little bit about AI hype and some interesting things we're finding, generative AI, and then we'll have a special guest joining right at the end of the show uh, to talk about Reddit and NFTs. Robin uh, Rule, if you know him from Twitter, Rob Alam, uh, a legend, uh, one of the biggest uh, Redditors back in the day, and he's going to drop some knowledge on uh, these Reddit NFTs. He, he basically controlled what went viral on the internet, yeah? That was uh, He was one of pitch. like a dozen of the biggest moderators on Reddit uh, when they were really, really like the viral generator. A little, a little yeah. bit of first, I think we can ask him about it, what happened, but uh, but uh, yeah, right. let's, uh, let's hit it. All right, so we're going to do Meme of the Week here. Trung, you shared this with us. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> this is the perfect one. So do you, do you want Trung, do you want to read it out? Yeah, for... Uh... For the listeners, is the Vince McMahon tweet. Uh, you know where he does three successive faces. Each face is more orgasmic looking. <laughs> so, the first face, uh, it, it says it's Diwali. So the whole thrust of this joke is that Indian people are uh, loving life right now. So first is because it's Diwali. The second thing is India beat Pakistan in cricket, which we can ask Malal about. Yeah, that, let's, one, let's skip that one. Yeah. If Rishi Sunak becomes prime minister, which is obviously hilarious because... Uh, the other running joke is that uh, Joe Biden, an Irishman, is the uh, president of the United States, and then Rishi, yeah, yeah, yeah. an Indian, is the prime minister of UK. It's like <laughs> just just the UK empire is just in tatters right now. Um, but uh, Dishy Rishi, uh, what a nickname uh, for people that don't know. Dishy Rishi uh, got his nickname when he was the chancellor when COVID hit and uh, was dishing out money to the citizens of the UK. I don't know, did, did Jack or Blau, did you guys get any of that cash? Did you, did you, well, you know, I said, no. uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. You guys want to wink, wink? Uh, no. <laughs> no, also, I will also pull up a bonus one, which uh, this is the people who were getting concerned. He was Muslim, like some of the people who were not on his side. And um, I think, can you guys see this? People yeah. think he's Muslim. And then the first, this response was so funny. He's about as Muslim as a pint of Stella. <laughs> for, people, for people that don't know, uh, Rishi is Hindu. So um, uh, just absolutely a lot of confusion going on. But okay, so I want to ask you guys. We didn't cover Liz Trush, who was the previous British PM for 45 days, who couldn't outlast a head of lettuce because just we didn't cover there's just no charisma right there's just nothing interesting it was like oh liz trust the foreign secretary it became prime minister and the thing i will say is this the the biggest criticism i've heard about all this and i'll throw it to you guys for other criticisms because Bala mentioned a few was okay so in 2019 when boris johnson became prime minister 14 million people voted uh voted him in right and then he made brexit happen and then uh, a couple months ago, when it became uh, clear that he was, uh, I think he got uh, uh, taken down because of a bunch of COVID-related scandals, like he was partying hard, right, during COVID. And while the whole country's on lockdown, like uh, uh, Bojo didn't care. He was doing his thing and they're like, guys, we can't have this guy in power. So the conservative party made him resign. So 140,000 uh, Tory voters were involved with that. And then 
uh, Liz Truss when she went out because of a disastrous budget, a mini budget, which we talked about how she destroyed the pound a couple of episodes ago. So she gets, uh, she's forced to resign. And then now only 195 conservative members picked Rishi. So that's the biggest criticism I've seen is like, this is not yeah. a democratic process, right? It's like 195 people basically picked him as a conservative leader because of the mechanism uh, of uh, British politics. And people are like, wait, we didn't decide this. So throw it to you guys. How do you feel about your well, democratic rights? And uh, uh, what is other criticism? You've heard? Well, I was, I was going to say, Trung, the other running joke going on in the UK group chats is that Rishi got his job through clearing, which is for people <laughs> who aren't from the UK, there's a phrase called clearing, which is on your A-level results day when you don't get into the top choice university. You have to call this number and you're on the phone all day and you're trying to find a university to go to. And it's kind of like the default, oh, you got into this university because of that. So, which is ironic because, you know, he's kind of, kind of the opposite of that. He went to Oxford, he went to Stanford, He's kind of like a very credentialed guy. Hedge fund. Exactly. Um, But yeah, Jack, I didn't want to interrupt if you had something top of mind for him. But uh... no, I mean, UK politics has been like Benny Hill for I don't know how long. I I honestly, completely candidly do not pay a great deal of attention to it at all. And uh, yeah, like feels like every couple of weeks I'm getting a text. There's a new prime minister in the U. It's like, okay, all right. I'm not paying attention to this anymore. It doesn't seem like a serious yeah. line of... Uh, uh, it's not a serious business news. anymore, right? Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't seem like... It doesn't seem like there's a great deal of consequence that comes with it because of how temporary it feels. How long is the Conservative Party in power for now? A couple more years, isn't it? Yeah, I think that... Well, you can pull up a vote whenever you want, right? Uh, it's just the same with the Canadian system. It's like, if you feel like now's a good time to do an election, but then obviously that runs out. I think... Uh, I think it's either the, the, the well, 2019, probably 23, 24, actually. Yeah. Probably the next 18, 24 months. Yeah. So that's inter- I think the interesting thing is just how different, and this is politics in general. It's like, it's kind of unsettling how different the ideology of like one person, a part of this group is, you know, it's like, imagine changing a CEO of a business with that, at that scale every two weeks with people have like, completely different ideas of the direction of the products they build so i i mean politics in general to me is just kind of a you know buggered up incentive game so hard to comment on yeah hard to comment on my uh i have no opinion basically well no, no, yeah. and another really funny meme i saw was uh if you want to keep your uh, a computer safe, just change the password to whatever the prime minister is <laughs> that week. <laughs> Got to keep it updated. But uh, no, I think some. Uh, I think for NIA, what might be interesting about Rishi is uh, Bilal mentioned his background, right? So uh, he did come. I mean, his parents are uh, India via East Africa to uh, to England, so very classic colonial. Kenya, route, right? I think, right? Yeah. Is it Kenya? Kenya? Yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. Like the uh, classic colonial, like or uh, Kenya, if you're Kenya. from that part, or if you're from the subcontinent, people say totally. Kenya. So they they uh, they ended up in England, I think in sixties or seventies. His parents are uh, it's like an immigrant story, right? Is like he he was didn't come from a rich family. Um, I think his last 20 years, he's become totally part of the establishment. But uh, there were, I listened to a lot of BBC podcasts about him yesterday. And uh, he was hit, he was working in the curry houses as a young guy. Um, but uh, I think what I'd say is the interesting thing for NIA listeners is he has been asked about Bitcoin in the past and crypto. 
and uh, he uh, went to Stan- has an MBA from Stanford. So uh, he basically, people were expecting him to bat down that question because he's a chancellor of the UK exchequer. He's right? like, this is not a, supposed to be a situation where you're like going to be talking about crypto. Um, but, but you guys talked about this, right? He's like, he might be doing like centralized, uh, what was it? Like uh, digital currency? BDCs? Central Have you guys Bank heard this? Like, is this something that you've seen? Does it, does it matter to you guys? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, there's been documentation when he was chancellor of the Exchequer talking about the ramifications of CBDCs and the programmability or the eventual programmability of CBDCs. So if you want to go full zero hedge mode for a minute, the idea of a programmable CBDC is like 100% control of a population where you can, at the individual level, say, you cannot buy this, you cannot go here, you cannot, you know, your purchasing power is at the discretion of whoever issues a CBDC. So, so basically, China, like what people yeah. feel about China, yeah. right? So, yeah, yeah. They can basically and I think turn he's, off he's talked your... about that. I, I don't know with any level of detail how seriously that's being considered in the uk but it's definitely like being spoken about and uh um i think the position on crypto more broadly is i think an economic decision for the uk at this point where it's like that is a huge portion of the developing economy that if we don't write favorable uh uh, legislation for in the short term, we're going to lose a shitload of money. Um, same thing with the States, right? I think that conversation has been going on for a few years where regulation in these countries that already have like really heavy service-based and like technology skill-based economies are pushing away innovation in these, uh, in these industries to countries that have more favorable policies are going to lose out on a load of tax revenue, a load of innovation, yeah. a load of, you know, all of the ups- economic upside that comes from fostering in like participation in a new field. So I think maybe there's some, some tension there or like there's kind of a contradiction there where he's spoken favorably about the UK being a leading crypto economy and CBDCs being a solution for the long-term uh, like issuance of money and control of money in the, in the UK. So some, uh, I think you can be in favor of taxing crypto and getting people to work on those projects and eventually transitioning to a system where you have total control of everybody's economic energy. Well, that was the yeah. zero energy part too, right? You're sending us stuff about, uh, he's quite close with the uh, Davos uh, world economic forum crowd and he's definitely of that ilk, right? He's no like, doubt. Uh, His father-in-law is a uh, founder Infosys. of Infosys. Well, yeah, yeah. So the thing we didn't touch on is his family's, uh, well, his wife's family's wealth. So his wife, uh, Akshata Murti, daughter of Infosys founder, uh, their combined net worth is $830 million, 2x the royal family, which is absurd if you think about it, right? Like that's, that's the thing that's hard that was hard to square for me. It's like, you know, he does, he has this humble beginning, but and he's, fully established like this is like as davos elite as it gets yeah yeah and i was just gonna say that just to clarify because i don't know enough about his background i will say when i've i think the talking points of him being like from humble beginnings is kind of like especially in the last run-up of the last election conservative party kind of had to 
bang on about that because it was one of the biggest criticisms of him of Bojo I mean, he, and Bojo yeah. previously right yeah, yeah. Bojo's and the Mr. whole conservative party essentially most of them like uh you know before him david cameron like they were kind of like all oxford friends they all did like ppe yeah five of the last six uh, uh exactly. prime ministers all went yeah. to oxford yeah all which i'm PPE. not against like people going to oxford are smart people but i'm just saying a lot of well, the they criticism don't know the price of milk they don't know the price of milk exactly and and that's uh so what people on the other side would say as a criticism is they, they don't represent us they don't understand the you know problems of a normal person and th th on his like humble beginnings he went to like a very elite private school since he was a kid like it wasn't like he was like hanging out in a state school like figuring out his life sort of thing again i'm not saying that's a bad thing like he's clearly a very smart competent guy and i don't know enough about him to have an opinion and i guess that's not even the focus of the podcast but i just wanted to clarify that because Fair i think enough. uh that's something that a lot of people have said since the last like run up to the election and he's uh, you know to quote Kabaddi G who is a, a famous character in a TV show Jack and I both like and a famous comedian in the UK he does not represent us and I'm not saying me as us but that is the kind of sentiment I'm getting from a lot of essentially the brown people I know in the UK yeah. uh, Pakistani Indian people um, and again that's just my friend groups and family right but literally probably in the last 24 hours I've seen 20 to 30 posts on on uh, Instagram and Twitter and most of them have been quite negative about him which is almost surprising in a way because uh, like speaking to my dad my dad was like oh it's good like there's a you know it's progress for people like us that look like us etc um, but I think there's a weird thing here where it's like he's part of the conservative party and generally speaking like if you're an immigrant to the UK you didn't support the conservative party for a long time um, and now we're getting to this transition where our generation is born there people are doing a little bit better a lot of the time when people become richer become conservative a lot of the time so it's this weird like um juxtaposition well there's a saying there's on. a famous quote right if you're if you're if you're not a liberal when you're in your 20s you're heartless if you're not a conservative when you're in your 40s you're you're brainless it's like yeah as you start going famous, through life yeah. and getting real responsibilities it's like ah you know what <laughs> maybe you don't want the government taking all your money um, yeah exactly and then the, the last thing is because i think a lot of people listen to this are from the u.s like the conservative party and labor in the uk is the equivalent of democrat republicans in the u.s but there's just there's like an elitism that feels prevalent within across the all of them well well across all of them but specifically in the uk i find like the conservative party the rep of it is very much like oh you're posh therefore you which is like the, the democrats in the in the u.s right well, well, no, more posh, I well think. now it's, yeah, it's kind of yeah, flipped. Yeah, yeah. It used to be oh, yeah, that, you know, left-leaning like policies. Working, yeah. Exactly. But now in the US, it's kind of like the the more working-class people, white working-class people were voting for Republicans. So it's quite a weird... I think people use them interchangeably and they're actually quite unique and different. Mm. Let me add, let me add a couple of things, uh, thoughts here. Some quick ones was two things that I want to mention of uh, the other criticisms that saw to your point, Blah, they're not really us. Is So one is like Rishi still had his green, U.S. green card while he was uh, chancellor. And people are like, what the fuck's going on? And uh, it sounds like in his defense, his rise was so quick. It was like literally overnight, his rise. Uh, he was an MP in a small town, I think in Southern UK. And they just one by one, just the new is ambitious. They kept elevating him, and then boom! Next thing you know, is Chancellor Exchequer. Um, the other thing was his wife was filing taxes as a non-domiciled, so it looks like it was legal. But I think she paid thirty thousand pounds in taxes last year. 
and uh, this is I mean, worth almost a billion, yeah, right? So that that's was a the huge attitude, right? thing in the press, like a massive yeah. scandal. Yeah. So I think I think I, the the way I'd want to wrap this up is has nothing to do with their family particularly, or or even British politics. Is like we I think we've covered this lightly in the past, but you know the the reality is this now is like it's not white versus black versus Asian versus Indian or any of these color stuff or even country versus country. If you actually look at the distribution of how society is run, it's like the top one percent. It's like, there doesn't matter where you're living, what color skin you are, you're in that top 1%, you're all doing the same thing. You're all finding the same uh, uh, vacation destinations. You're all consuming the same content. And like, you're all hanging around and doing the same things, right? It's like, you're buying the same luxury goods. It's like, doesn't matter what country you're from. If you're in that top sliver of 1%, it's like the global elite, elite, elite. Like, that's what you're doing. And they're clearly in that part of society, right? It's not even about like where... Uh, well, it is about where they, uh, he went to school, but all these other considerations is like, like it's gotten to the point where wealth for certain slivers of societies, like that's, that's ultimately all that matters, right? It's like they all hang out together. They're all buddy, buddy. And uh, go ahead, Jack. Sorry, I was just going to say, don't you think we had like just a weird blip where like politicians and like rulers of nations for a period of time were like, closer in proximity to normal people. It was only like a few decades where that happened. Like if you rewind it back oh, you're right. further yeah. than that, it's like people who yeah. own 90% of the queens, resources yeah. of the country <laughs> are in charge. And it's like, oh, we had this little blip where the people wrestled away a little bit of control. That's a great point. That's a great you, point. I think technology and media and like the power laws that exist there have like swung us back in that direction in a pretty aggressive Fashion. Well, let's take the United States as an example, right? So obviously, uh, when the American Revolution happens, I mean, the, the, the people, the George Washington, Tom Jefferson, they're, they're rich landowners, right? Extremely wealthy. But then you go in the 1800s, you start getting people like Andrew Jackson, and then there's a bunch of shitty presidents in the second half of the 1850s, other than Lincoln. Uh, they kind of come up just not particularly from wealthy backgrounds, but then it gets, and then as you're right though, it's like you go through the 20th century, like you got, you have somebody like Harry Truman. He grew up in like a farm in, in Missouri. Right. But, uh, but it gets more and more dynastic. Right. So the Clinton dynasty, the Bush dynasty, um, um, I guess, I mean, Biden was a, is a lifer, but he obviously has more humble roots, but I, I get what you're saying is like the idea that there was this period where it seemed like anyone could actually do it. But the reality is, that even I mean, we had Obama, but I think yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you. Though I think the the the, the uh, America's different. It's like you go to a lot of European countries, still very dynastic, which is understandable. Yeah, and the the you know even the um, relationships between countries, organized relationships, marriages, things of that nature. It's like that stuff's been been happening and to like deny the existence of that sometimes or yeah. to operate with the assumption that that hasn't always been the case is kind of a fascinating response like oh this guy doesn't represent us is uh i mean 99 times out of 100 i think that's that's accurate it's just like yeah this person is completely uh detached from your version of reality i don't know who said this but it was like Anybody who wants to be the president shouldn't be the president. You know, yeah. the idea of like you wanting. I think Joe that. Rogan said that. I think I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah, I've said that. <laughs> yeah, probably true. And I, I don't know. I think that's an interesting way to think about it. It's like the people that you would want to serve in a position like that, or to have the skill sets to serve in a position like that, 
maybe, you know, your qualifications being different than, you know, the relationships you have with the distribution of your story or the like connections you have to technology, things of that nature is like probably hard to break. But I don't I, like, I'm not a historian, Trung, you're a, Examples no, I, you gave I, there, I, I, I think, it was all just think, like gut for me, but it, you demonstrated no, I think, that it was I think, true uh, for a bit. Well, I, I, well, even take Nixon, right? Is like, I think if we start going through, if we did a good thing where we went, went through, we'd be like, oh, you know what, Ashley, to your point, is like obviously a guy like FDR, who's president for 12, uh, record of four terms, obviously died before he could finish it. It's like he came from dynastic New York wealth, but, and his, obviously his uh, long cousin, I can't remember his cousin, uncle, Theodore Roosevelt was also president. But the whole point, I think you made a bring interesting point. I think we might have to revisit this fun fact family because this is something super interesting to talk about. Let me let me uh, pin this with uh, stuff about UK economy so we can move to generative AI. I, I don't want to take too much time on that one. So can I hit up you guys on the UK economy stuff? Yeah, go, go for it. Okay, you guys will appreciate this. Um, uh UK economies in the shitter, obviously. This is one reason why uh, a Sunak is a, is a, has taken over. But uh, uh, Derek Thompson from the Atlantic this morning wrote a very interesting article. It's titled like like what the happened to the UK economy. But the the the, the summary is quite interesting, uh, and I think this will really resonate with you guys. So basically, he's saying that the problem with the UK economy is from the eighties under Thatcher, it went super hyper financialized. It's not going to be surprising to you guys, right? Um, they've for, for hundreds of years, uh, London has been an economic center. Um, New York wrestled that away after world war two, but in the eighties, it got to a point where, cause UK used to be a manufacturing powerhouse, obviously also, right. But the last 30, 40 years, I mean, you guys are on the come up like finance. Would you say that finance was like the peak of the economy in the sense of like, this is what, England is in the eighties and nineties where you're growing up. I mean, not from my perception, it might've been true, but not this, not like, yeah, I don't know the numbers reality. on that. Well, I never yeah. reason, what like, was your perception like, well, Jack? Yeah, go ahead, Jack. You, cause you were in the car factory. So like, you know, like yeah, Sweden yeah. car factory, which doesn't exist anymore, by the way, anecdotally. So that's true. That was the biggest employer in the town I grew up in. This that's is gone. a perfect example actually is like, so that the, so for, especially foreigners and, and, and like people like myself, what is England? It's really London, right? It's like London. And what is London? It's a finance capital, right? But that's the reality. I don't know about Swindon. I don't yeah, know yeah. about manufacturing. And over the past two decades, a lot of these things have closed down. Like England has deindustrialized. And that was the point in Derek uh, Thompson's article. They, they put so many eggs in the finance bucket because it was a place that could be most competitive because of network effects and uh, a history and the money that's already already swashing around that area. So, but Trunk can ask, and just while we're talking about yeah. that, how different is that to the other developed economies like the US? Oh, you're right. Uh, you it know, is Western it, Europe, because normally you go from like primary sector, secondary totally. to tertiary, right? Well, so. to answer your question, he, he pulled up stats. He's like, uh, England has deindustrialized more than any of these other countries. Oh, got it. And they've got lost it. more productivity than these other countries. So exactly to your point, as you get richer, you want to move away from manufacturing and get into services, right? Higher margin. Uh, uh, and it's just a natural path. Of, Safer, uh, like you're country. not yeah. worrying about being stuck in a coal mine exactly. or whatever. Yeah. But like, uh, you nailed it. Is That's the path it took, but they deindustrialized so fast and they haven't replaced it with like robotics and they haven't replaced it with, uh, and they've gone so heavy on, uh, on finance. And then after oh, 2008, great financial crisis, that engine completely broke. 
So mm. what has England done over the past decade? You guys will know this word, austerity, right? A lot, cut back on spending, higher taxes. And, and then as the economy hit the shitter, the Conservative Party, who did they blame? They blame the EU. Then you get Brexit. So that was kind of what's going on with the, U, uh, the UK economy. That's a great summary, honestly. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, that's the narrative is so different. We've talked about this a bunch of times on air. It's like the, just the upward mobility and uh, like position of entrepreneurship in culture in Europe more broadly is just so different than the States than and the even US, Canada. Well, we right? had Rick Burton, right? Man, we should bring Rick back. Rick was talking about how, man, like everybody that knew that was ambitious in the UK, they just bounced, right? Like yeah. why... Like, uh, I mean, you guys don't live in the UK anymore. And uh, I will I think- say, and I agree with that overall, and I still agree with it. The only thing is because we've been gone for so long, like obviously things change. So it's like the last yeah. 10 years I've been gone. There's obviously ambitious people, but comparing it to the US, where it's like, especially for business stuff we're interested in. Yeah, to me, it's not on the same scale, but there are, you know, there, to add to what you said, like in, after 2008, there was a crash, right? Then I moved back um, around the beginning of 2010s. That was when Bojo, who was, you know, Boris Johnson, <laughs> I think he was mayor the of mayor of London. And he was the one, and, you know, it wasn't just him, but that was something he was trying to champion was tech, right? And like be like, oh, startups and tech and all this stuff that is, you know, because Google and Facebook and all these bigger, big tech companies came uh, and started setting up big offices there. And then they were like, well, we need to invest in a startup hub. So they, I, I remember going to this thing, Google, uh, what was it called? Uh, Google Campus. And that was like this amazing place where like all startups would come, we'd run startup events, we'd like help people and you get to meet all these people. And it was all like very tech, you know, centric. It was like being in Silicon Valley style places and everyone's wearing like normal clothes, no suits. And it was that same culture that was exported from the US to the UK. So I think there was that focus, but it was never at the same level of the US, clearly. Totally. Right? But um, I mean, there's been a few companies that have come out of there, but nowhere near Only on the same fans. level. Um, Only yeah. fans. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, true. Well, I, I guess the thing I'd say about, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I agree with all that. Uh, the, the one thing I would add, and I, I think you guys, uh, I love your thoughts on this. The other big uh, note was that, that the population is shrinking and getting older. So an older population, they're actually more nostalgic for the days when England was, you know, number one. And that's why they're so supportive of Brexit, right? You know, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of, uh, like, Brexit was not black and white. It's like a lot of the arguments were to me, like, oh, it makes a lot of sense from both sides, right? Um, and obviously it's, it's done. There's not, nothing can be said about now. And ultimately the UK is going to have to yoke itself closer to America. But I think there's an opportunity. I don't know how much is left, right? Like, so Jack, the factory you work at is closed now, because, but, you know, as America shifts away from China, they're going to have to go back to these, they're making massive investments in Germany, for example, right? Like uh, Tesla just opened a giga factory in Berlin is can UK scoop up some of this? Hey, we need to reallocate our manufacturing to allied nations kind of thing. Right. It's like, do you still have that skill set, that muscle memory? So I think that'd be interesting to find out. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of amazing companies in the UK too. Rolls Royce is one of yeah. my Yeah. Favorite. Like uh, Absolutely. Land Rover. Well, I know they're owned by Tata, but like, uh, so yeah, I, I think, th- I thought that was a, a great article. So we should probably put it in show notes, but, uh, uh, a little macro, little macro NIA. Let's, uh, yeah, let's hit up, uh, let's hit some generative AI. All right. Let's talk about it. We got about 15 minutes before your, your okay. friends joining. So 
Trump, before we get into generative AI, I, I feel like you might have been spending a bit more time in this, being a, a writer on this stuff, a lowercase j journalist, covering all the tech trends. But just yeah. higher level, if you're thinking of like AI, is there a way to think of like the different parts of it? Because I know we're using the phrase like generative AI. Are there other kind of like strands that- Yeah, I mean like- There's like so general AI. AI has just become- it's just such a throwaway word at this point, right? It's like, if you're talking about the biggest like AI companies three. in the world, exactly. Yeah. The reality is like the biggest AI companies in the world are Apple, Google, right? They have the most yeah. data. They have the most uh, uh, computing power, but everything you do in Google is powered by AI in some respect, right? Um, but the, the most recent one, uh, I think uh, if we're going to nail it down is a lot of it's built on open AI, which was previously a nonprofit. It was started by Sam Altman and Elon Musk and a bunch of other people, uh, Microsoft, uh, Reid Hoffman investors. And uh, Sam Altman of people is the YC, Y yeah, Combinator. Former, former president head. of YC, um, very influential in Silicon Valley. Uh, uh, Elon stepped away because he didn't like the the direction that uh, AI is going. Elon has said in the past that he thinks that uh, AI, you're, you're going to, uh, summoning the beast, summoning the demons. He he believes that uh, AI is possible. There's like, you know, the singularity stuff is like this stuff. People have no idea how crazy this stuff is. So what's interesting about OpenAI is they started initially as a nonprofit, but then <laughs> they became a for-profit, uh, but they've capped. So they, Sam Altman is like, they're gonna, people are going to make so much money from AI. Like it's just going to be that next wave. But they're like, we will cap our investors' money at 100x. And he's like, we think that's reasonable. That's how crazy it's going to be. He's like, we will cap investors' money at 100x. So they actually just- When you say cap, what do you mean? The upside the return, of the yeah, investment? Yeah. So, so like, they can keep the rest. Is yeah, that the idea? No, no, they'll cap the investors, but then they'll put the rest back in the system right, or find right. some way to distribute it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> in the system. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. That so sounds just, a bit like something I've heard in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So they just, raised, uh, they just raised at a $20 billion valuation from Microsoft. So Microsoft- uh, it really wants to integrate uh, OpenAI and, uh, and into its uh, Azure cloud service because they're like, listen, Azure cloud. We've talked to you in the past about how big cloud services are, right? Like Azure for Microsoft, AWS for Amazon, and Google Cloud for Google. Those are all hundred billion dollar businesses each. AWS might be a trillion dollar business already. So, but you got to feed that monster, right? It's like, okay, what's the next market to use all this computing power? Well, AI is. It's a massive one. So uh, OpenAI's partnership. Uh, Microsoft's interesting, but what is OpenAI? So the stuff that we've probably seen and the listeners and viewers have seen is like the generative uh, image models, Dolly, uh, Stability Diffusion. Uh, our, our friend Jim O'Shaughnessy is the chairman for that company. Uh, Jack and myself have been on his podcast. Um, those two companies are using uh, OpenAI's open source kind of uh, uh, learning models to do this image generation. And then the other one that you've definitely seen is GPT-3, right? That's a language model where like AI can write text in a science article in the voice of Stephen Hawking. Like that's what it's capable of doing is because it's read the entire internet. So over the past, I say three months, there's been an absolute explosion of generative AI uh, startups. But the reality is that most of them, all they're doing is putting a GUI, a, a graphic user interface on top of the underlying uh, open source data, right? Which is fine because uh, I, I'll, I'll tease it now, but I, I'm doing something on top of OpenAI uh, for writing and research. And I'm probably going to drop it next week for our listeners. But uh, the, what's interesting about it is you need a GUI, right? It's like, you're not, do you, have you guys interacted with any of this stuff? Like, have you interacted with OpenAI? Yeah, yeah. 
You played around yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Just through like, the similar things, like people have created a tool and I'm messing yeah, around with it. Exactly. Right. And there's so many. And uh, I think um, I think for our purposes, and Bilal joked about it, but I think it's true. It's like the, what, what the VC world has done last week, two uh, generative AI companies, Stability Diffusion, which I just mentioned, which makes images uh, based on open AI, and then Jasper AI, which does uh, copywriting, specifically copywriting uh, using uh, AI. They both got unicorn valuations. So I think what's interesting about how this will develop is why copywriting? It's because oh, Copy AI is the other company, which we know uh, that the two founders, Chris and Paul, it's like, why is it that these companies are the first to really commercialize technology? Somebody brought up a great point. It's like, listen, you need to commercialize in such a way where the enterprise buyers, like, I will save money on this, right? It's like, you have to make them the pitch. AI will write copy for you. It'll convert 10% better. So your $50 investment a month, like it will return this, right? So those are the industries where like finance and uh, and marketing, like instantly you can plug in a number and you'll get a number out for an investment. Those are the things where it'll make the most sense to start. But uh, let me throw okay. it to you guys. Uh, uh, yeah, any thoughts on all that? No, that, that was an amazing summary, but I'm just going to bring up two tweets that were shared in the last week. One's yep. from our boy, Nat Eliason. Uh, if you guys can see my screen for people listening, I'll just read it out. He just said, I just tried an AI powered writing app, but I'm so, so, so hilariously out of a job. It literally gave me goosebumps. I'm not allowed to share it with you yet. Uh, but I will when I can. Please send me new career ideas. Obviously, right? So I don't even know if that might have been an AI writing no, app. No, that was because... for, that was for uh, Lex, the every writing app that they released. Okay, cool. Uh, which yeah. is on OpenAI. And basically, what the, uh, the main demonstration for that uh, a writing platform is basically if you. Uh, highlight a body of text it will spit out uh the next paragraph for you so yeah, it's like a okay. great idea generation thing exactly all right right so and then the second one is ali abdal who's a youtuber and he's got a massive newsletter nowadays but he basically wrote this thread using the ai and he it ended up being the most popular tweet he's ever created written yeah it's everything we just mentioned it's like he he, he gave a prompt he's like i want to write 15 productivity tweets uh yeah. highlighted it and it spat out the rest of it um so uh, what I will say is this, is AI, uh, so I've used, you've probably used a few, like for this really rote, straightforward summary stuff, amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, and that's kind of really what I want to get your take on is like, what parts isn't it amazing at yet? And obviously things can be trained better over time, but just, and like literally, I know he's kind of semi-joking and stuff, like not probably, but like what, is being replaced and what are the skills that are still going to be very useful so like if people a lot of people listen to this i'm sure i into writing and content creation and stuff yeah. so i'm curious from both of you guys because you obviously trung you're you know a paid writer that's your job right and then jack you also write a bunch and you also create stuff so i'm curious like how you think it will impact actual jobs i think and skills. two categories that i can't do so i can do stuff like copywriting which is very formulaic right copywriting is like uh, hook somebody with a big word, offer them these three value props. Yeah. That's very formulaic. Uh, something that's less formulaic is obviously like take J.K. Rowling, building a universe over eight books, uh, call it uh, 5,000 words, right? Or 5,000 pages. Like building a universe, interconnected, everybody has a story. That not solved yet. I think. I'm not going to bet against OpenAI uh, because just the advances have been so insane. The other thing is that the last example gives like Matt Levine, who we talk about, the Bloomberg finance writer, who writes 
about finance, but in an extremely entertaining way. Like I'd like to think that I'm one percent of his skill set, but like you know, I try to give business and tech ideas to people, deliver it in a, 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 a entertain them and educate them. I don't think AI can do that yet. But again, I wouldn't bet against it, figuring yeah. that out. And the last, the, my super last thing, sorry, Jack, I didn't mean to uh, ramble on, but the last thing I'll say is this. I think Jack will agree with this is ultimately what this means is this. If they're commoditizing the ability to write and deliver information, what is the actual value add for an individual? Can you entertain? And and it's everything we've been talking about. The personality matters so much more in a world with widespread AI tools. The individual thing, because there can only be one trunk, only one jack and one below, right? So that that's your monopoly. So you need to lean into that. What what is it? What's your life experiences? What can you bring to a writing that no one else, that AI can't bring? What can what connection can you make from your experience? Because at the end of the day. That's the only different differentiation you're gonna have. Yeah, Jack. Jack, anything else to add there, mate? No, I, I agree with that. I think the um, the same idea of tasks that you can automate away physically with machines. That's essentially what Trung is saying, right? It's like anything in the middle that is this like instructable. Uh, Hey, here's these, uh, here are these prompts, summarize this thing, or like take everything that's ever been written about this and turn it into a, you know, a hodgepodge of all of those things. I'm oversimplifying, obviously it's like incredible technology, but that point of the only, like the thing that that starts to put more value on is the truly scarce perspective, like the stuff that it does not have access to as a machine learning thing like yeah. your experiences your perspective your um uniqueness the ability to like imagine and craft the universe and all these different mediums is yeah i think it puts focus on that and makes that stuff more valuable but at the cost of like swiping a lot of value out of the middle right and if you already have distribution if you already have something that you can like add this to you're just Jack. That's the thing. Running away from the pack with it. Distribution. Yeah. This is your namely. I think distribution will win in the end because, dude. Imagine Mr. and trusted Beast. distribution yeah, too. Like if we've you're talked Mr. About. Beast and you just AI write everything now, you start a book line. It's game over. Mr. Beast starts a young adult book line. He will own <laughs> that category, right? It's like distribution. I like that you specified young adult, by the way. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, I think I mean Go if everything is commoditized. Jack knows this more than anyone. It's the distribution that will win. Yeah. If everything else, all things equal, is commoditized. I wonder if I wonder if you can tell the difference too. There's like a you know the um, uncanny uncanny valley. You know that concept. Yeah. Uncanny valley. Uh, so, uh, Jack, you want to explain it for the listeners? Yeah, I think I first heard about it in the context of like video games, where if you're looking at the render of a what's supposed to be a person. It, you kind of empathize with it up to a point, and then when it gets too close, but you know it's not real, there's this massive dip. It's in the ninety, comfort. yeah, exactly. So it's uh, like I'll almost you, there, but not quite there. I'll give right? you, you a silly example. No, no, I just want to say, like, do you guys know the Halloween character, the horror movie Halloween with the guy with the mask? Yeah, yeah. Why is that? One of the reasons it's terrifying. It's Uncanny Valley. It's like it looks ninety percent like somebody's face, but something's just off about it. And also, it's part of the horror movie. But you nailed it. It's like 
at zero to 10% looking like a, a human, like a Mario character, you're like, oh, cool. What a cute character. But as it goes from 20, 30, 40, 50, 60% looking like a person, it gets more and more creepy until it's to hundred. So if you're 90% like a person, you're going to be creeped out. And Jack's asking, is there that for text? That's a great question. Yeah. And, and uh, no, I'm also saying, yeah, yeah. You could, you could potentially detect that. It also pushes all of these uh, mediums, I think closer to live streaming, real time output, where if you try to have an AI create a podcast in real time, maybe it could do it. But just it just feels like in general, culture is moving way more towards like commentating on stuff in real time from your unique perspective. Yeah. Like we've talked about this versus just out. reporting the news. Like we already get the facts or the so-called. Sorry, that's actually the worst word to use. Right. But meaning <laughs> yeah. like the, what is, on BBC, what are being reported as facts anyway. And the more interesting stuff is someone analyzing it or sharing their opinion, like you said, like their unique take on it. Yeah, it's like the information economy now becomes the perspective economy or the, you know, the interpretation economy. That's like... Well, they, everything becomes color commentary, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, if, I, and it feels like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm in two minds about this, whether this is like a, you know, one of these trends that the technology, you know, technology Twitter gets obsessed with for three yeah, months and then it abandons... That. Yeah, or it's one of these things that is genuinely like overtaking uh, even robotics. Like when when X number of startups come up and get valued at X, the circles of people that we talk to get really excited about this stuff, and then for it to like become not necessarily be technically feasible, but it has to be culturally accepted. Right, it has to yeah. be like people operating this thing at a certain point. So that's just because something is possible doesn't mean it becomes a widely like accepted behavior. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't need to be because it scales infinitely and it just starts to like suck up, um, you know, the output of these platforms that have distribution can just grow way more significantly. Um, but I think Jack to, to that point though, like what Trung, uh, Trung mentioned earlier, like if you're talking about AI as a whole, like, there's been AI since for ages, right? It's just like the recent hype has been all this specific stuff that's advanced very quickly and the open nature of it. Like we've been using AI in Gmail for a long time yeah. or Google right, Chrome right. browser or Google Maps and all these different things for a long, long time that work really seamlessly. And like we've said on the pod many times before, most people don't even need to know what the word AI is to benefit from using Google well, Maps me, when it figures out. Let me give out. Bilal the perfect yeah. point. Blah, uh, let me end, like, uh, add yeah, one yeah, anecdote to what you're saying. So it's like, uh, you guys know SQL, the basically Oracle, how they did the SQL, databases. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it's like, and how you can query databases. Yeah, SQL, like, yeah. That, like, 30 years ago, SQL was the same hype as AI. It's like, oh, this company yeah. has SQL. Now it's just everywhere. That's it's about completely how websites work, what data right? works, yeah. That's what's going to happen with AI. It's just going to be there. It's going to be functioning at all times. It's going to be make, helping you make smarter decisions. And the, the one thing I did want to add, because I know our boy Rob's about to hop on from Reddit, uh, not from Reddit, but uh, uh, he's going to talk about Reddit NFTs, was uh, the two things of interest, which is kind of both to your points, is like the real value here will be to dig down into certain verticals where you can create like, uh, like for both AIs and Gmail, right? He's like, well, everybody has that. It's like, okay, how do you do this where you go to an industry, for example? So 
uh, Aaron Levy, the CEO and founder of Box, uh, the uh, enterprise company, had a great tweet. He's like, who's going to make uh, uh, the uh, GitHub Copilot? So GitHub Copilot is a program from OpenAI that basically helps coders code. So apparently a, a lot of companies using that uh, program, their coders are saving 50% of their workday because the OpenAI tool is just auto-spitting out what should That's be written. That's wild. So yeah. Aaron goes, what is going to be Copilot? for the legal industry. What's going to be co-pilot for management consulting, right? Using these uh, language models. So I think that's something to think about. Um, yeah, sorry. that's very interesting. Did, our, did yeah. uh, is Rob trying uh, to get no, into the I'm, room? No, he's not joining yet. I'm, when he comes in, I'll, I'll add him to All the right. room. Just one thing what I was also yeah, going to say um, is humor. Like we talk a lot about this on the pod, like the lens of humor. I think also... I think you can program and teach a computer like the idea of comedy and like, you know, the misdirection and like building up suspense and the punchline, like what that means and feed it many ideas. And who knows, maybe in a written form, in tweet form, it might actually work fairly well. And I actually just saw someone was sharing this, the Levels guy was sharing Peter Levels. I'm just gonna share my screen for a second here. Have you, have you guys ever heard of Tweet Hunter? Um, it's one of these like Twitter tools. I've never really used it, but just while, while we're waiting for your friend, this is something they just launched, and it's actually got both of you in here. So that's why I thought yeah. it'd be interesting. Yeah. So you can be it because AI tweet generator. Do one generator, live. Do one to, live yeah. So here's one for Trung, and I'll do both of you. So this I've got two. I've got Jack. But let's see how good it is. And this is this is what Tweet Hunter thinks you sound like using <laughs> read, so. read one of them these wow these are not yeah read one of them. there's no jokes here for this is trunk so yeah this is just list the richest ceos in the world jeff bezos bill gates blah blah there's no punchline there's no shit posting there that's what i'm trying They're to see trying like, to be jokes some of them oh yeah which one look, cool one look out. at that top right look at the top right at most people of crypto traders are profitable that others think they are okay yeah yeah Trying. And, I mean, it's inter it would be interesting to know how they do this. Where are they looking at? Because Twitter, all this stuff is open. So maybe they're looking at who's liked that stuff and other tweets they've liked. And then also the language models on top of like similar writings, length. So yeah, there's quite here, look, interesting. Read that, that, read that one, man. This is so the bad. The Google one? <laughs> Trying so offended. Google. I'm sorry. The algorithm uh, said you had cancer. Guy, no, you're sorry. You should have consulted me for making the diagnosis. I don't know what they're using, man. Yeah. I think they're just spitting this into, uh, well, let's see Jack's. Okay, so here's Jack. Reward the people who support your walk more than the people you don't. Okay. Uh, all right, your, your friend is joined. Let me just bring him in as well so he can see us live reacting good if you morning to everyone someone doing... to save you you're already dead <laughs> that's something jack would say all right everything you've oh, ever wanted snap. is on the other side of fear okay so you're getting a few of these um yo sorry, rob let's... how's it going man we can stop sharing <laughs> hey, hey rob oh my god look at that yo what a background dude <laughs> all right so let me introduce uh rob you never met a uh, jack and Bilal. uh Bilal and jack this is rob uh the legend Nice to meet it, you, man. It's, What's happening, it's man? It's awesome meeting everyone. I'm familiar with you guys. I don't think we ever spoke one-on-one, -on -one, but um, yeah, I've, I've seen you uh, through Trunk, of course. Greek, nice. Greek Lebanese cat right here. How's that? Oh, there you go. Friend? Love that. Where are you based, man? Or is it secret? No, no, it's not secret. I'm like fully doxxed, uh, address-wise okay. maybe not as much, but yeah, I'm in uh, Vancouver right now. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, we yeah. met in person a couple months ago. Uh, exactly. He worked at Shopify a year ago, and Raurab now looks for treasure. Um, can you explain the, uh, what you're doing on a day-to-day? -day? Of course. 
Thank you. So yeah, I was working with Shopify a few months back. That's how I ended up in Canada. And uh, I was helping them onboard their entire workforce on, on as a, you know, they went from office centricity to remote. So we had to onboard 14,000 people onto Slack, fun times. And wait, wait, Rob, what's your background though? Why were, you, crazy, why, were you, why were you perfect for this job? You used to moderate <laughs> the largest Reddit communities. Is this correct? Yes, I, actually, you're right. Like, why, why was I even picked for that job? It, it was, um, I, my background comes from, um, I graduated as a landscape architect. I have a master's in landscape architecture and worked in London for, for a few years in landscape architecture. It was fun, but then Reddit kind of changed my path. Through Reddit, I, I tapped into the media cycles, you know, and like uh, understood how the internet works better. I was fascinated by that. And by through luck, met Alexis Ohanian, who kind of activated me by telling me like, oh, sh shit, dude, you have a marketable skill. And I was like, wait a minute. So through that, I ended up working in media. My background, like you said, drunk, I went too hard on Reddit, I think. So it's a good way to put it. Like I... I Finished Reddit as a game and then kept playing it. How <laughs> many karma? How many Reddit karma? How much Reddit karma do you have? Where do you rank? Yes. So right now, I think I'm around uh, rank two, but for a long, long time, like years and years. That's incredible. That means you you're ahead of one of them. What Reddit karma is for the people that don't know? What is Reddit karma? Of course. So I'll explain to you why I'm ranked two, by the way. But okay. for a long time, I was ranked one with about 37 million karma points. So karma is, is a metric on Reddit to um, to basically just retain your activity. All right. Okay. So karma, you get karma points by getting upvotes. You kind of get karma points by upvoting stuff as well. And upvotes are basically like if, if let's say Twitter was registering the amount of likes you got, you know, so you'd have a total amount of uh, like a pool of total I'd likes. I'd be up there. I'd be up there. Dude, I was thinking I was about to be like, and Chung would probably be killing it. <laughs> no, I've seen your numbers, dude. Yeah, You've done some crazy numbers. You've been doing some crazy. Yeah, I don't know if you guys seen Rob's like uh, uh, when he was going hard on Twitter, he was hitting six figure likes oh, on the reg. Uh, but anyways, dude, karma back to Reddit. <laughs> So, so on that note, yeah, I kind of, after Reddit, after getting a bit bored, I guess, with Reddit, um, went on Twitter and went ham on Twitter. Yeah, I, I used to get like impression, like just chunky impression. I just remember you being like, what are you doing? Was, These numbers are insane. Yeah. But without getting into that, yeah, Reddit eventually kind of taught me the, the, the ropes for, you know, community building, for dealing with large audiences, for dealing with, with noise, you know, online noise. And often that noise is good, often it's neutral, often it's negative. So it's, it's all about listening to communities, knowing, you know, how to set boundaries, guardrails for the communities, you know, safety. And, 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 and of course, well, sorry, sorry, I was going to ask, what are, no, I was gonna say, what are you doing and what are you doing today? Which is very relevant to why you want to come on. You want to talk about Reddit NFTs, but so yes. tell us first, what is your day job? Yes, of course. So Right now, I'm working with Island, XYZ. Island is a startup. We were building solutions for Web3, and now we're kind of pivoting into still building for Web3, but I think like 75%, I think, of our attention is towards, um, I don't want to call it Web2, but more creator economy apps. And we've got something really cool soon, but without you know taking time to, to pitch that because it's still under wraps, it, Island kind of has been great in allowing me to tap into, you know, like still keep legs into web or, or hands or legs, whatever lives you want to call, 
stay in Web two, but also build in Web three and use my network. You know, so I'll be honest with you. The what I wanted to talk about today was Reddit. Was that uh, I don't know what to call it. I guess let's call it a successful experiment that Reddit pulled off right now, um, which is onboarding their entire well entire. They have tens of millions of daily users, but they onboarded a large chunk of their users onto Web3. And the, the, the bottom line is OpenSea took about, well, a few years, you know, uh, of being live. They have about 2.3 million active, not million active wallets, but total wallets, you know, that traded on OpenSea. I think that metrics means it's a wallet that has an NFT, you know, basically. That's how they count it. Reddit did the same thing wallets that have an NFT and overtook OpenSea in three months. <laughs> and they're at 3 million wallets now, which as far as experiments go, goes, like that's crazy pioneer. Jack's a, uh, Jack's yeah. a big, Jack uh, was going, uh, so Jack here went really hard on NFTs in 2021. <laughs> yes, so, Jack. <laughs> Jack, uh, could you comment on what you know so far about the Reddit NFT stuff? So I've been seeing the, I haven't dug into it. To, I have to confess, I, I maybe 10 episodes ago, I pledged to spend less time down the NFT rabbit hole this year. But um, I read um, the volume of, the volume of trading on Reddit, like it is getting close to some of that like hyper crazy uh, 2021 momentum, which is obviously very significant. That was just complete, madness as everybody on this knows um i don't know a, a ton about the collection i know they did something actually before that too right they yes. did a they they dropped something in 2021 that was kind of i think ethereum native and this yeah, one's I think on we talked about Polygon. It. we yes. talked about we mentioned it on the pod like at some point as well that i'm really curious to to dig into it because the mechanics of it are so different than the traditional or the at least the like boilerplate kind of approach to nft collections that was happening last year like the the polygon component the i don't even know the size of the collection whether there's a limit on the size of participants i'm assuming there's x like access way beyond um you know obviously beyond ten thousand people but how they've managed to generate that secondary market without a cap on supply and things of that nature i'm not sure of but i know that's that, a good question as you said it's an incredible testament to how fast they were able to do that and hopefully a case study in how platforms that have distribution and community can harness this technology but at the same time reddit i think was probably one of the most vocally um opposed to the nft narrative in general just last year so how that was messaged and launched and got people to participate in it, it makes it even more impressive in my eyes because that was uh I think a pretty widely held belief on that platform that NFTs were either worthless or destructive or a combination of the both. Yeah. Right. That's spot on, Jack. It, it still is right now kind of a hard narrative to sell on Reddit, but the, the shift is, is visible. Like it's palpable. You just log on to almost any crypto-centric or NFT-centric subreddit and you'll see people actually using the, that uh, hexagon profile picture on Reddit. That's kind of like the, the funny thing is... Uh, there's so much to talk about, so I'll brace myself and feel free to just redirect me. But, Can we start initially? Yeah. What is the NFT? What exactly. what exactly are people getting? So that's that's a great question. I want to 
add one thing on, on Jack's comment. So Reddit's first experiment wasn't this. They launched, I think, like four or five uh, crypto snooze, they called it, in summer of 2021. And it was a limit. Actually, it was a limited series of four crypto snoops. They're they're individual NFTs. They're not a collection. And they're selling at like 40, 70 ETH or something now. But um, without talking too much, that was kind of like their first test as far as collectibles went. I wouldn't call that a community effort. Just uh, you know, Reddit as a brand releasing NFTs. But now what they did was pretty much they merged both ownership, so so digital collectible ownership with their platform's profile picture um, customization. So you own one NFT, you can use it to customize your profile picture on Reddit. If you own two NFTs, you can mix and match different trays, traits, sorry, from these two NFTs to create kind of a hybrid profile picture. This in theory sounds very simple. I was talking with Alexis Ahanian, I think a day or two ago. Alexis is the co-founder of Reddit. Um, Funny enough, Alexis, years and years ago, had uh, coined the idea of customizing your SNU avatar. So the old SNU is Reddit's mascot, by the way. This is what all the NFT art is based on a template that is a SNU, basically. And they just add to it. But yeah, so he had coined that whole customize your avatars. Why not? Wouldn't you want to do that? He was a pioneer without even trying because... That's what made the experiment work. It wasn't that you were buying NFTs. It was you were, you were collecting avatars. They don't call it NFT. They became yeah. a meme now. You, you call it digital, digital collectibles on Reddit. <laughs> but um, but yeah, Trunk, like I, I, I do have a lot to talk about. So I'm going to let you... Um, no, just, okay, let's, just, <laughs> let's just confirm. To confirm then, right now, what you described, that's NFT. You can... Mix and match kind of features, and uh, it's the yes. avatar. And Trang, I'm just sharing the screen for a second. This is what yeah. the co-founder of Polygon tweeted out, like I think yes. in the last day. <laughs> so just as a visual, is that does that look about right? Just for people watching, yes. there's like a it says collectible avatars. You can kind of get an idea of what it looks like. It said three Bro, million watch wallets. Watch the numbers. Watch the numbers. Yeah. So he said three million wallets, ninety nine percent unique owners, few whales in brackets, hundred million market cap, native Reddit community. Organic, no crypto, Twitter noise, price pumped in, etc. Fast, affordable, carbon neutral minting built on Polygon. Um, so yeah, obviously he's um, you know the co-founder of Polygon, but like a really good, impressive numbers. And uh, yeah, I, I think we've talked about this on the pod before. Just like the, what something you said earlier kind of stuck out to me, which was people don't even need to call them nfts they don't need to know like what's going on in the background that's exactly what we've talked about where if we actually believe in use cases people shouldn't have to be think figuring out like what's a metamask wallet and like how do we you know why do, why do we use this just to pump our own bags and stuff like that which was the initial pump of it but this one is like i'm already using reddit I'm already a community member. I'm already trying to get my karma points up. And this is a new way for me to stand out and get, you know, whatever benefits there might be. So, um, yeah, it seems like very interesting. So what are the, yeah, Rob, why don't you walk through like what, what makes this unique to Reddit, yeah. first of all, and like what, what, yeah, what ultimately long road, what's the benefit of having this? Of course. So, so you, you, um, where do I start? The idea here, I, I would say maybe why was this successful? It's not because of the customizing avatar, you know, concept. It's because this was accessible. People didn't have to learn any ropes. The way this worked, Reddit, you have an account on Reddit. 
um, it pinged you at one point in the past four months or so, or throughout the past four months. It pinged you being like, hey, do you want a free NFT? I don't think they even called it an NFT, like a free avatar or something as a digital, digital, digital collectible. And you would have, to, if you click no, it would ask you again, are you sure you don't want this free thing? And it was a funny kind of way they worded it. Most people actually clicked yes. At first, no one cared because they didn't really have a value. But um, slowly, as they, I guess, started more talking about it, and when they released season one, that include, included the artists, you know, with limited collections. It wasn't just random, random avatars on Reddit. I, I remember seeing the shift kind of go from, well, early, early on, you know, when they released the profile pictures on Reddit, people hated that. They were like, what? Why would I customize my Snoo? And then people, now it's normal. Everyone has a profile picture Snoo that you customize. It can be done even without the digital digital collectibles. It can be done with, I think, just some base assets that you get for free on, on Reddit. And Snoo's the alien looking thing, right? Yes, Snoo okay. is the alien mascot. And, and that's... I would say the one thing that worked is the fact that uh, Reddit kind of became the, uh, what, what's the word? Uh, it's escaping me the, let me, it's going to come back to me. I think if you were. Um, if we only, only if we had AI for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh man, there you go. So uh, as, as um custodial service. So Reddit was creating, sorry, I was actually looking through my notes. So Reddit held your hand throughout the creation of your wallet, crypto wallet, which was integrated with your account. So all you have to do was click probably yes, yes, you know, and then you ended up with uh, the key phrase, which is like that, say the password for your wallet, for your crypto wallet embedded in your Reddit account. And you can access that on your uh, official app. You go on your account, don't need to go with the steps now. To be fair, it's a bit wonky. <laughs> they could make it much more uh, simple. But I think Reddit was still not shoving that in everyone's faces. And that was part of the success. So you have an account on Reddit. You click yes, yes. You get some free shit. They end up in your vault. And then most people realized after months you know, of having these free things that they were worth something. I remember I bought my first two. After I saw season one, I was like, cool, Reddit avatars. I don't care, even though I was kind of in Web3. And then I clicked, I bought two from the top two artists right now, one called Rojum and the other one, Tyler Fust, friends with both actually. And after two, three months, I checked my, like I just checked OpenSea and they were worth like one, two ETH. Not investment Ooh. advice. Not, not investment advice, but <laughs> I went ham on season two and I have like 45 pieces now that are worth more than I've yeah, ever bro. made in Jack this space. Like looking proud of Jack, no, no, Jack's like getting PTSD. So Jack's was, like, no way. So Rob, you got to have a funny, we have a really funny uh, joke from you. I don't know how much of this show you've listened to, but Jack, we, Jack basically documented his entire NFT journey here. And uh, he bought Board Ape really early. Then went to NFT NYC. He's like, you know what? I think this is the top. <laughs> sold, sold this board apes and bought a house. Having said that, he's still a believer in the technology, but uh, still has a crypto punk. But what, what I think is funny is uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Jax is like, yo, this is like, this is a summary of my 2021. Jack, is this, <laughs> give me some congrats on the house, Jack. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That's the real. Yeah. yeah, that's the real. Yeah, well, I think I will... I I think the interesting thing about this 
in the context of the character that already had all of this, we talk about this a lot. It's like, there's all this equity built up in this character, the platform yeah. people love Reddit. And as you were talking, I was actually thinking about those, um, I'm going to get the name wrong. They're like brick, uh, bears. Is it brick bears they have where they're like, uh, they're toys, like right? Really... They're like a patent leather, no patent, a plastic toy looking things, right? Yeah. Like a really, um, a really recognizable silhouette and it's like a street where, yes. you know, they get oh, yeah. graffiti, like they become this canvas. And I think that's a really interesting lesson for people in yes. NFTs in general is like the, what this has done has been able to like allow people to interact with this thing they already care about in a new, different, interesting way, support artists while like having this recurring loop of interactivity versus OpenSea for the majority of 2021, which was these, you know, the interactivity is occurring just in this marketplace. Like maybe people said it as their avatar on Twitter, but it wasn't integral to the community on which it was built in. So I'm not surprised Alexis Ohanian has been like top of mind and thinking about this for such a long time and why, I mean, he instantly got and is part of a lot of those other communities that aren't native to reddit but oh that's a great point because uh, alexis obviously a big uh, has a dedicated web3 fund so he's like man yeah. this is oh, like yeah, something yeah, i've yeah. been working uh, on for uh, he just got mentally it yeah. well, actually, the decade. question i had is how involved is he still with reddit because i think he's stepped away a long time ago right so i don't yeah. know how involved he would be with something like this i'm sure he's still close he's to them okay He's. I would. I would say maybe as as like you know, but back end advisory kind of like involved. But he he's not. But he's not actively. like on the board. He's cheering, like, he's hey, cheering let's it on though, this. right? He's like, uh, this is great. Like this is let's, let's, yes. like okay. He actually did green um, thumbs up it. So of course publicly he supported that. I don't know how much he did on the back end, but he did build the foundation for that. Now, now then again, like I know that the Reddit crypto team is pretty small compared to their other teams. I don't okay. know how that's changing now. I don't want to, you know, speak too much, but I had, I had people reach out and be like, Hey, are you interested to talk more? And I'm like, Oh, Oh, now you're interested. But <laughs> oh, yeah. now you want my karma points. <laughs> now, <laughs> man, the CEO of Reddit, well, Steve Hoffman once called me, uh, someone asked him during an AMA, like, why don't you hire Gallo boob? Me, I'm Gallo boob. Sorry for the username. It's, it's just Gallo boob. Yeah. Years ago. I don't even know where it came from, but he was like, why would I buy the cow if I'm getting the milk for free or something? Ooh, <laughs> oh, now it's time to geez, buy the cow. That's... Yo, I'm kidding. Yo, butcher. What are yeah, you talking about that? He's like, oh, this value. Yeah, that, that this is, a, this is the Web3 promise, right? You should have those karma points in uh, fungible tokens. You need to cash that shit out. That oh, actually, okay. So, any ownership. Yeah. Any ownership. Rob, give Rob, me let any me ownership. I need to put this to you. Rob, this is the criticism of Web3 and NFTs, and look what happened to OpenSea, the volume's all way down, everything's shit, shit to bed. Why is what Reddit doing is different, and why is the outcome not gonna be the same a year from now? Please. Oh man, that's a, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, the question, actually. Sincerely, man, why did this blow up the way it did? Why did it reach volumes that it's still, like I sent you a link on Twitter, uh, there's a tracker that shows you individual pieces from the Reddit collection, that Reddit avatar, and their prices. The top one is at some 15 ETH right now in a bear mark. 15 ETH, just 25,000 or, or so, or $20,000. So why did that blow up during um, kind of an all-time low, I would say? Like you said, OpenSea volume is low. 
NFT trading volume is extremely low. Low. It used to be like in the thousands daily on different collections. Now it's like a hundred. The top collections that is at a hundred ether. So, I honestly think that people during the bear market, everyone's kind of in it together. No one, no one knows what's happening. No one know. No one can predict the future. But what you can predict is more the adoption. So seeing these big brands like Starbucks hop on board, they change their well. I don't know if it's live yet, but they did announce changes coming to their reward system. It's going to live on the blockchain. It's going to be on Polygon. The good thing with the Polygon as a, as a chain is that it's gas efficient. I mean, you're going to pay a cent compared to $50 for, for a transaction compared to Ethereum, which is crazy. Ethereum gas fees are crazy. But anyway, um, I would say this is this got to the heights it's at now, and it's going to grow even further. That's what I believe. Because that was the first proven Web3 onboarding experiment that actually worked without the technical confusion, without any learning. You didn't need to know anything. You just had to make an account. And that was Reddit is not another startup. It's not like your your other crypto project trying to launch a shitcoin or something. So they were established. They had that. They had already an audience. And they proved everyone else that it's possible. Everyone is talking in, on crypto Twitter every day about onboarding and adoption. How do you onboard the masses? Literally, it's the thing to solve. It's the golden problem that if you solve, you're in it. So Gabe Bladen, he's the, um, the CEO of Limit Break. Limit Break is a Web3 company that's doing games. So games in Web3, video games. Um, he did really well. Don't want to talk too much about it, but he launched a free mint, free NFTs. They're worth like 15 ETH now called DigiDagaiku. He's launched, he's creating like the NFT factory, free to own. The more people own, you know, the more people are onboarded. But what he did was like, he's trying to solve that question. He's trying to onboard the masses. How do you bring everyone over to Web3? Reddit did that. So everyone saw that and they see the proof of, What's the word? Like the proof that this works. Well, you know? So actually, so you brought up a great point because a, a previous episode, uh, Bilal and Jack, you guys remember we talked about the Starbucks uh, Polygon thing, right? Mm -hmm. And basically our takeaway from that was this is, is it's just going to be in your Starbucks app, right? It's like, it's a mass onboarding of 40 million users. Yeah. Don't you have to use the word NFT? I believe the, 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 it's a uh, star points or something, but Rob, this is, this goes back to, so I understand. Okay. So I will give credence to the mass onboarding of users to Web3. So now these people, without even knowing it, they're in Web3 now. They have the potential to interact with the rest of the Web3 economy through Reddit as a portal. Same with uh, what Starbucks will do with this rewards program. But now I still want to get, like, get very specific. Like a year or two from now, okay, you've been onboarded into Web3 through Reddit. Cool. What's next for me? What is the benefit to actually derive from being onboarded? Or will I not care a year from now that I've been onboarded onto Reddit uh, in, through Web3 via Reddit? Yeah, great question. Like, I'll be honest, it, it might be blunt, but the first benefit to being early on something in Web3 is profit, is financial returns. Sure. Do you know the type of posts I've been seeing? There's, there's a few subreddits, but one of the main ones is r slash avatar trading you go there if you, if you need to keep track of it it's the core reddit nft audience this is where it grew the people are posting about like what happened i bought something for a hundred bucks two months ago or a month ago or a week ago and now it's worth 
$20,000, you know, $25,000. And these people are, are talking as like, I don't know where they live, you know, but like that's a lot of money for some people. And also that is a really good incentive to show you that there is a way other than nine to six to make money. And that's the crazy part is like, I know it, Web3 is not only about making profits. It shouldn't be. Then That's not the end goal. But this is kind of the bait that keeps you here. You're like, wait, what? I can print money and ETH? And ETH might appreciate over time. Cool. Let's trade some JPEGs. These Redditors kind of drank the Kool-Aid, I guess, now, or took the pill, whatever you want to call it. it not necessarily in a bad way. They, they are aware of the what Web3 can do. They're aware that there's financial returns there. They also are part of a community. It feels good, man. I remember the first yeah. time I got part of, like I onboarded a Web3 community by minting a project. It was Chain Runners. It felt good to be part of, and I come from Reddit. I'm usually in these Anon communities that nothing is binding us together. Like we don't have, what, do you like dogs? That's why you're there, cool. Past that, no one cares. There, There is no bond. But with Web3, with these tribal projects, I would say there's a bond and that feels good sometimes to find a belonging. Um, but yeah, like to, to, your word, to your question, what are these people gonna do with that knowledge? a few years from now, in the case where most companies and most products are going to adopt like a seamless Web3, you know, integration, nothing on your end. You just click a few buttons. But now instead of like you, you bought some uh, some skins on Fortnite, you can resell the skin on Fortnite. That's the whole point. And the, the skin can appreciate it. It can also depreciate. I would say down the line, these people are going to, like now the door is open for them and Whatever they want to do with this, whether it's a hobby or professional career pivots, they can. And that's the crazy part is everyone in this space that I know of wasn't an expert. They had no idea. But a door opened, they walked through, and then they found friendship, community, professional, and hobby opportunities unlike anywhere else. Do, do you know really Reddit will scale. integrate with the Karma system? Because that to me seems yeah. like a no-brainer. Like yeah. This to me is the clearest... Yeah. Use case. Uh, I don't know. Do you do you know if that is being put out there? So, so like, I'm not going to play games and tell you I know things in alphas. <laughs> I, there are certain things that I, like I would choose not to speak you're up. Sin, you're sitting on a gold mine, brother. <laughs> My dude, if the, if they tokenize karma and I can do anything with that with that amount, I'm going to first of all give back to the people, and second of all cash in. Yeah. And, yeah. Like to be honest, it would have been. Uh, um, like I, I am grateful for Reddit, but it's I spent too long on there. I have like a good feeling, but also some regret. That would erase all the regret. Tokenize it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like they they started, they did this for um the subreddit cryptocurrency or something. So one of these cryptocurrency subreddits, you can um when you have karma via posting, via commenting, and people liking that and upvoting that, you accrue a token actually called the moon something moon points i forgot what it is but regardless of the the names you can actually farm your tokens now but it's sub specific so subreddit specific it's not throughout reddit i think if they do open the floodgates for tokenizing old karma i don't know how it would work but seeing how successful this experiment was i kind of want to think the sky's the limit for these um, creatives right now being like let's experiment some more you know and yeah experiment on my karma dude <laughs> well, jack, i'd like to ask jack and blau so what, what do you guys what is your takeaway from reddit staying here is it 
another hype cycle or is there something uniquely different about how this rolled out? I think it's, I think it's different because, um, the, I think the thing we've seen in the last year or so is people get excited about the technology and then try and use the technology as the product, right? It's like, I'm interested in web three and you saw all the people that were interested in the creator economy two years ago are now interested in web three, right? And truly what they're interested in is making money on the internet. That's what they care about. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah. making friends, making money on the internet. Who doesn't want to do that? It's fun, right? So what I think we can see from this example is like, this is a vehicle, like you have to build the product that people care about first if you want this thing to be sustainable. That's why it's going to work for Starbucks, why it worked for Reddit. In some cases, there have been NFTs that the art resonated in such a way that they were able to leapfrog the product stage and back promise that they're going to build a product that's going to make this thing useful. The other thing is like Reddit in itself is an economy without a currency, right? This is already an established economy without a currency. What NFTs do in this context is they introduce a currency that is mapped to status in this case, because you know, this represents this artist you care about. There's 50 of these. You have to be, you know, you had to have been there at the time this came out. You have to have, you know, understood who this artist was, saw value in this before everyone else. So it's like perfectly mapped to the dynamics of the community as they already exist. And you get to extract some of the value that you created by create by doing enough interaction on the platform to create 36 million karma points, right? You're getting, maybe you're able to make 25 grand. You've been contributing to Reddit for 10 that's, years, that's for eight hours a day. And people think that's insane when really it's like, no, you're part of the reason this works in the first place, right? You're now like, finally it clicks that you are the thing that creates the value on the platform and you can extract some of that back. And that's, I think, yeah. going to be true. And when, when that light bulb goes off, people really get it. In the context of Reddit, I think it's different because it's, you will go back to Reddit regardless of whether or not the NFT appreciates or depreciates, which is not true for 99% of other yes. NFT collections. The floor drops below a certain price, dead, gone, ruined forever. Right. Reddit has it, it, this, yeah. it's this based foundation. on the price versus Reddit you're using anyway. And like the reason you spent exactly, thousands of hours. <laughs> yeah. exactly. this is, uh, let me, uh, sorry, but I want to add one thing to oh, Bilal's on. point and then uh, Bilal, you want to finish that. So the thing I want to say was this is something that Rob, you mentioned was Web3 was using Twitter as its home, right? But that integration was so clunky between actually the communication, the ability to create value. I, you guys are, as we've all talked here for 30 minutes, I'm getting the Reddit play. It's a the huge onboarding. There will be a, a digital native, pure digitally native economy. And Reddit just had made a huge play to be the portal for that. And uh, yeah, I think uh, that connection, apart from Twitter, which was so janky, right? It's like you you were doing something in OpenSea, you're bringing it on to Twitter. Now Reddit's just all in one place. Blah, sorry for cutting you no, off. No, no, I think that? I disagree with everything you guys were saying. The only thing I'd say in addition to that is 
I think overall it's just a positive thing. Like if people have now being, you know, basically there's some people on Twitter who are saying, oh, these old Reddit people were complaining about NFTs and now they're changing their mind. Well, that's a good thing. That's exactly what happens with new things. When you first encounter something, you don't know enough about it or you only see the bad side of it and then things get developed and new things become better. And that is exactly what's happened here. So for them, they actually got to play around with it like all of us did and saw something. <laughs> that is the key insight though, right? Like you just hear an idea, it sounds stupid. And then you play around with it and magically someone drops magic money in your pocket and you're like, oh, that definitely is an, another incentive for you to be like, maybe I'm gonna learn a bit more about this because that's, un you know, that's just how humans work. I don't even wanna say unfortunately, that's just how we are. <laughs> and so, yeah, and then the second point is what we've been saying throughout every single episode of this podcast and um, is distribution, right? Like they have an inherent community that is already there for a reason and this is just another way of making it slightly better. And it's an experiment, but it's, they're gonna keep developing it and figuring out how do people actually gain more utility out of this? Now we've got this financialization part in NFTs. Can we actually create new use cases we didn't think about before, which is the whole yes. promise of Web3 in the first place. And oh, and now can we go and play with other platforms because we've already built it on Polygon and Polygon is a side chain of Ethereum this and is that is gonna point. play with yeah. OpenSea and all the other things. So it's not just locked in to Reddit, which is, I mean, again, I don't, without knowing the details of the technical side, I'm assuming if it's, used on, if it's built on Polygon, that means it's being settled on Ethereum eventually. And that means they can now use that in other areas which is again the big oh, you yeah. know chris dixon thread we all shared uh, like a year ago about what the future of web3 would be and all that stuff that I is recall. the benefit is how do we get to the next phase of the internet and so i think it's a positive thing and the last thing is starbucks uh, i'll just reiterate i think that will be an even bigger thing potentially uh, in terms of scale because of how many people use it and actually use it in the real world and so if you start bringing in those same mechanics and ideas that we're now used to earning points that are actually worth something versus just a random number in an account that makes you look good um, then that is another benefit of building in this way. So overall, I think it's just a positive thing. Man, Bilal, you, you're spot on. I think it's one thing you said about like um, not governance, ownership or something. That That's a big part of it. Of course, there's community. Of course, there's financial benefit, but there's also ownership. Man, like I'm tired. I'm a terminally online person. I, I spend too much time sifting through content. Trunk can, uh, Trunk probably no. <laughs> well, Trunk is probably the, <laughs> no, the no, same. Well, actually, Rob, I actually did want to do a slight pivot on that point. I wanted to ask you from, can you tell us a little bit about being, I mean, you used to make, you literally used to make things go viral on the internet because Reddit was the nexus of virality. Around uh, Know Your Meme, the website did a, a, yeah. a study of uh, where memes go viral. Uh, obviously, Reddit had a period between, I think, 2015, 2017, where it was a hub. Now it's like more Twitter, TikTok. Um, you were doing your thing there. So you just talk us through. It's like, I mean, we love talking about this on this podcast. Is like, what what makes something viral? Like, what are the mechanisms, man? Like, just talk us through your experience and like lessons of that. Of, of course. So, it, and it relates to what I was uh, about to say. So, the, um, I guess where, where I come, where I'm at right now is that there are so many apps, so many social apps that are free, all right? Most of them were pretty, I don't know what the word is, I'm trying to be like polite, but they were pretty greedy in, in distribution of their ad money, ad, any revenue. So as a user, you were just using these services for free, all right? But you were kind of like, uh, but th that was 
that was the catch. They were cashing in and you were losing a lot of time. Yeah, you're the product. You're the you're product. The product. Yeah, you're, the product. You're, you're losing yeah. like eight hours of your day, dude. Do you know how much you can make out of this? Just time. Time is money. You can invest that time in anything else. It's probably going to return better than like having yes. memes <laughs> on your brain before you try to sleep at night, you know, or some fails videos and whatnot. So right now, the idea with Reddit, let's say, tokenizing their karma or, or your time spent on any app being valued in a way that is not just an imaginary number because because like reddit gave me 37 million karma points they're worth nothing what can i do with them nothing nothing i can show it as like a marketer would you know be like this is my proof of something it's not even true on reddit because i'm always posting not as a publisher i'm posting to communities so no one cares that it's coming from me you know but to that point coining the viral uh, trends is is all about like finding these trends finding community behavior identifying it knowing how to package content that caters to that trend, to that community, to that hype, and speaking the same language. So not parroting as much, you know, but it is some, like it's observing Reddit subreddits, let's say, or Twitter threads or Twitter trends and being like, right, I'm going to cater a meme to that thing or cater a thread to that thing. And it works. Well, let's get tangible. You used to do our next effing level, right? That was one of the ones you moderated. Yeah. I followed. So that, that's <laughs> 8 million members. So when you're moderating next effing level, uh, what were you seeing that con- consistently bubbled to the top? Like, what were you identifying when you're moderating that one? Yeah, th- there are a lot of um, common grounds in terms of you know non-political stuff, just okay. just global news that everyone relates to. Like, let's say some technological advancements that that helps all our asses survive longer or live better. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so people I noticed love a lot that. of those. I noticed a lot yeah. of like, ro- like uh, look at this robot, like clean up uh, this exactly. uh, this natural disaster zone. I'm like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Exactly. Oh, that's a great point. Like, I don't even know what to call that content, but like, I would, I would say, let's say wholesome, you know, like wholesome, hopeful content. And, and then these are relatable because who who doesn't want to see like the advancement of humanity, let's say. But then you go into very relatable uh socio-political content you're going to always cater to these audiences on reddit and make a lot of karma i at first i was like cool let's talk politics and then i found out the hard way that that's a bad bad idea so i stepped away from it and focused on more like wholesome news good news but also a lot of artists and creators so i would identify these artists and creators that didn't have an audience but had a really cool concept they were you know doing whatever it's a video or some some art photography and i would find them on some uh, niche blogs i would package their content and distribute it in specific subreddits that i know for a fact like this type of content and these people would go viral overnight i wish i kept a flip book of the amount of people i i like actually put on the map indirectly not like they reached out to me i never met them before i found their content online and that was a kind of a fun um eye-opener for me like just just to see that oh you go viral on reddit or on twitter and the next day you're on hello america or good morning america whatever show it is and people's lives are made they start businesses they start um you know like i've seen people thrive through that so this is just to summarize uh uh, the two things i say is like it sounds like your ability to make things go viral was number one 
really understanding the verticals. I love how you explain the next F and level one. It's like, listen, it's just like common knowledge, like wholesome content, advancing humanity, uh, new technology people have never seen. Get it done, right? Yeah, and, uh, relatable. Yeah, relatable. And then you finding uh, artists around the internet and putting them your knowledge of what subreddits and what content they want. Man, dude, yeah. you're... You, the classifications in your brain must just be insane, man. Like, how many subreddits are there? Are there hundreds of thousands? Hundreds of thousands. At one point, I was moderating about, like, if you added all these audiences from each subreddit together, I, I think I was moderating about 60, 70 million people. They, they can be, you know, the same people in different subreddits, but the volume was crazy. And it turned into, it was fun. It was learning experience for me, but it turned from like a hobby to an unpaid job. So I stepped back, of course. Right. Same um, number of people as Rishi, isn't it? Yeah. 70 million. <laughs> we opened the podcast with a, with a talking British about the new British Prime Minister. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Literally <laughs> the same amount. Yeah, that's even more actually. Um that's amazing, man. Yeah, did you get any I, questions I, I, about I the just have a last question on that? You you mentioned um essentially it being an unpaid job, but you still loved it originally and you had to step back, probably took up too much time. I'm just curious, like, what the motivation was for doing it in the first place and, like, sustaining that. I'm sure originally it was just always kind of fun to be involved and you had the time to do it. But then you're down the rabbit hole and you're like, damn, this is taking up 12 hours a day. Or I don't, I don't know how long you're, you're spending on it. Um, and because to me, that is quite a fascinating idea of, like, the Internet. It's actually a really beautiful thing that there are people in the world who want to like contribute in that way that and you're one of those people and uh, the the one i think of similarly is wikipedia right yes. like most people are contributing yes. to wikipedia apparently it's like a very small group of people who run 80 percent of it in terms mm -hmm. of like keeping up to date so i'm just really interested in like the psychology of why what kept you um doing that for such a long time so it's a great question bilal and i wonder what um, maybe it's different for other people than it is for myself. But for me, it was, of course, the, the, like I'm a gamer. I grew up playing games. If, I, if you give me a score around my life, trust me, I'll become a billionaire next year because I have a <laughs> score that follows me around telling me, great move, combo. Today you made like a record-breaking. So seeing these points accrue on Reddit and overall seeing that you can keep adding to those points and have a metric that you follow being like, oh, success even though it meant nothing that kind of kept me going just sheer grinding numbers. But with that, of course, it's not just that it comes with meeting humans, um, seeing an actual impact, often positive impact of some of your actions, let's say as a moderator, moderating a community, allowing some healthy discussions to happen, some crazy discourse to happen and then being contributor. So posting these content pieces or comments that generate some really amazing exchanges. Like I would, I would post something really cute. I would log on after an hour or two that it went viral on Reddit. And I would read comments being like, wow, this made my day or that's adorable. And here's my dog too. Like this stuff made my day by association. Yeah. And there's, there's also some obsessive aspect of, when you do something that works as a human, you kind of want to do it again. You know, that's how you, often like you go from an interest to like a hobby to to become an expert. For me, it was a lot of that figuring out that it was working, not knowing what to do with it. And the catalyst, I think, was Alexis Ohanian speaking to me. And as someone from his you know background and status, someone as kind as this dude telling me that, oh, you can do something with that knowledge or skills or whatever. Um, 
he was right. A lot of marketing, you know, groups are after that kind of like, how do you make things go viral? Or a lot of creators, a lot of platforms want that strategy of how do you recreate what Reddit did and whatnot. And a lot of people want to shill stuff, you know, like they're like, sell my shitty product or sorry for the word. But yeah, it, it was interesting. I would say that what kept me going was at first score then community and at it's the end human. it became I love like the score yeah. was I one love yeah. I love to be like honest the... it's a like, guys there's a freaking score man like there's I'm a number counter two. yeah I'm number two. Yeah. <laughs> there's a counter and but yeah the, the end was was like it became kind of like an experience it, it defined me as a person i was known online I, I have a forbes article thanks to my reddit uh shenanigans so yeah i got blessed in a lot of ways just by spending a lot of time a lot of time, sorry, on that platform. And even to this day, like, I really appreciate you guys being kind, but I still don't consider myself anything, you know, like I'm not an expert or anything. I'm just someone who spent a long time online, who got exposed to a lot of different, you know, trends, cultures, and, and, and events. On you the understand internet. the internet, dude. There's just no That's question. It, dude, terminally yeah. online. Yeah. And I'll be honest. One thing I'll say, and I don't want it to sound negative, but the end goal for me is to actually unplug from the internet because it's fun. It's a lot of noise. So now, as you know, Trunga, moving houses next week. I went from the city, unplugged from the city. I'm going to some green forest. Like I live smart. by the edge of a forest. Yeah, yeah just smart, smart. No people, no roads, just some peace. And maybe that way I can, I can. Uh, like get a healthier relationship with you know being well, it might give you a higher yeah. possibility to stay plugged online if you can yeah. just do the complete a balance opposite. yeah exactly man a balance but yeah oh and one thing by the way before we run out, run out of time you know what the biggest thing with the reddit um, nft boom let's call it the biggest thing for me was watching the culture clash of the redditor nfts crowd they're new they're they're new traders they don't have a lot of experience some do but the majority don't because they got airdropped to free nft they didn't do anything for it the clash of that culture with the crypto twitter culture it is wild popcorn all over the place but it's beautiful too because it goes from you know like everything it goes up and down and up and down and sometimes you want that up and down to keep going upwards not down so that's like growth and scale it's going up and down there's a lot of positive noise and a lot of slap fights, but a lot of education being shared. And it's beautiful. I've never seen anything of this scale in Web3 or, or Reddit, for that matter. That's awesome, like, man. Yeah. But by the way, how do I check if I haven't been on Reddit for a while? Or <laughs> well, what, like, if someone's okay, listening so, to this? Uh, by the way, uh, how are you? How do I make yeah. see if I have one of these $20,000? No, no, old jokes aside, though, I'm curious because I, I used to use Reddit every day for a long time. And then re in recent times, I haven't used it as much. But was it just dropped to like a certain group of people? Or how, what was that? That's a good question. On? I've been trying to track back. So <laughs> same situation with my wife. Where, because season two was so successful of the avatars, the NF, the Reddit avatars, uh, people were paying like a hundred dollars and then selling it for a thousand five hundred an hour later. We were like, okay, let's activate your crypto vault on on Reddit. Let's do it. You're gonna be ready next time. I'm, just, I'm checking just my phone it. now, yeah. dude. <laughs> I think you need the official Reddit app. <laughs> you need the Reddit app. I think you can still claim the free NFTs. So they have one collection that has 600,000 NFTs, you know, on OpenSea. These are the free avatars that Reddit airdrops you. You do get to claim that. To be fair, it's worth like 0.01 or 0.02, which is like 20, 30 bucks for something free. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not awesome, but uh, 
what you need to know is that Reddit will, they have more seasons coming. I'm in talks with the artists themselves. These people had no idea that was going to be successful. Reddit reached out. They're like, do you want to scribble a snoo? And they're like, cool. And then they, you know, did all the technical work. And now these, these people are famous. They, they're on every podcast, every spaces on Twitter with the biggest creators. So I think Reddit has a lot more coming from seasons. So NFTs you can mint. Um, and by the way, you don't mint it with crypto for now. They only accept Stripe, so fiat payment, uh, dollar payment. Uh, they have that coming, more seasons, but the biggest thing is, uh, I can't find it. I'll find it and send it to you, Trung. They have a roadmap uh, visual that says, you know, these are the things we're doing now, cool. And then they have roadmap 2.0, you know, with like the redacted thing. So they when do have token. plans. When, when token. token, when <laughs> karma. <laughs> they will probably launch a marketplace. It will be for Reddit avatars, but it also will have to be open for everything else. And on that note, I've had so many creators reach out and founders to be like, hey, can we actually integrate our trades with the avatars on Reddit? Can I launch a collection and actually, you know, like, like, like whatever the the trunk uh, the the trunk you know llamas you can actually interchange your traits with the Reddit traits so people are thinking big and I bet you Reddit is thinking even bigger especially now nice awesome man uh, anything else from you guys before we close out that was really really cool man yeah, thanks class. for sharing thank all that you. today yeah thank you for coming pleasure, on and guys. dropping knowledge man I I just want to say is- Again, I'll be very honest, like in the first 20 minutes, I was pretty skeptical. I'm like, this just sounds like another NFT thing. But as we talked more, the onboarding part's huge to me. The native integration with Reddit 360, right? Like a Twitter versus uh, like when you had the Twitter and OpenSea kind of connection, that was like a little bit janky. The uh, And listen, people want to live in digital economies, man. People spend millions in Fortnite. It's like, I get it. People want to spend money in the digital economy. This uh, Reddit as a digital economy it makes a lot of sense to me, like a ton of sense. So yeah, I think it's a super interesting, um, well, super successful launch. And then how how will the next couple of years play out? It'll be super interesting. Yeah. I'm curious if Twitter does the same thing or something similar. There, there were talks that they are. I don't know how, how that would look, well, but I'm here for we'll it. We'll have to see what Elon thinks on Friday. Yeah, That's exactly. actually a great point. <laughs> They'll launch it right before they hand it yeah. off to Elon, but we'll see. I really appreciate the, the time and lovely to meet you guys. Anytime you want to talk, I'm here. Yeah, definitely, man. All right, man. And thanks again for listening. We appreciate you guys. Let us know what you think of this on Twitter and Telegram group. Do us a favor. Write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You could On Spotify, you don't have to write. You just press just, five just stars. Just hit the stars. Just um, hit the stars. We, we don't normally ask for that one, but that'll be helpful if you haven't done it before. That's always helpful. And we'll see you next week. Cheers. Thank you. Peace out.